At the time of recording, Harvinder Power was a medical student entrepreneur who has since graduated and become a doctor. We recorded this pre-COVID and what I really wanted to tease out of him were the trials and tribulations of a medical student entrepreneur. Harvinder is a co-founder and CEO of Motix, a company which brings physiotherapy into the digital era. He was a winner at the Kickstart Global Incubator, the McKinsey Venture Academy, the UCL VC Fund, amongst many other accolades. He's also the founder of CodeMD, a website which teaches medics how to code. He's done all of this while studying medicine, so I was really keen to pick his brain. I started off by asking him the story of Motix. Yeah, so with Motix, it really was born out of a, a personal frustration. Um, so my dad needed physio. Um, and I mean, back in 2014, he had sort of pains down his legs and you know, went to the GP and they said, you know, it's sciatica, so you're going to need physio daily. And so they did the classic thing of, you know, here's your sheet of paper, do your exercises, see your physio, see what they say. Um, and that went on, you know, it took him about two, three months to get an appointment with a physio. So it takes quite a while. And I mean, those waiting lists are horrendous. We know that from the inside, right? Um, and yeah, and even after you saw the physio, they said, look, it's, it's the same as what the GP says. We just need to give you the exercises to keep on doing them. Should help with your pain, you know, regular painkillers. And obviously in the classic sort of dad fashion, um, he took that piece of paper, brought it home, put it on the fridge and, you know, never looked at it again. And seeing that, I just realized actually he's not doing his physio. And I saw that actually his pain never got any better because of that. Um, and it was a big problem clearly for him because he was just, in pain, you know, trying to take painkillers to help, but really not addressing the problem. And it was partly because of the state of physiotherapy is, is not quite there. You know, we're lacking in that the adherence is such a big problem that people aren't doing the exercises despite physios telling them to. And so what we try and do is really tackle that root cause of adherence to physiotherapy. So adherence is bad across all of medicine and all chronic disease, but I'm guessing for physiotherapy, it's even worse. <laughs> it's, it's really bad. Um, so the stats are, so the, the standard adherence rate to, to any medicine typically is 50%. Uh, for physiotherapy, it's 30%. Yeah, so it's not great. <laughs> um, and there's so many reasons for that. When you dig into it, you know, there's a lot of psychological factors, like there's higher rates of depression and anxiety more patients who need physiotherapy. There's, there's sociological factors, such as certain ethnic groups are more likely to do physiotherapy than others. There's a whole sort of physiotherapy-patient relationship. There's a whole observation behavior. It gets really, really complicated in the psychology of it. And so what we do is actually try and break down a lot of these layers and get to know the patient at a sort of deeper level and say, look, you know, we want to get to know you and we want to find out what's going on and how can we help you do your exercises. Is there anything that we need to change to, to enable that to happen? So how specifically is Motix solving this adherence problem to physio? Yeah, so we do it in a couple of ways. So the big one is uh, through wearable. So, so you've got a wearable device that you put on uh, and it gamifies the whole experience for you. So your physiotherapy, rather than being your standard, you know, move your arm up, down, left, right, 10 times in a row for, you know, 90 weeks. It's simply just put on the device, play your games for 20, 30 minutes a day. Uh, and after about a couple of weeks, start seeing your improvements. And basically what's, what we're doing on the back end is actually we've got sensors embedded inside that sleeve so we can see exactly how well your muscles are working. And we can also stimulate muscle function. So in real time, we know exactly how well each muscle in that, you know, in the arm, in that leg, in the back, wherever we're looking at, is working and optimize your therapy on the fly. And we combine that obviously with soft, with advanced software behind the scenes. So we do a bit of machine learning to see your recovery over time. And obviously, and also simple psychology. So we think about notifications when we send out notifications, trying to sort of 
almost pretend we're human. So it comes back to the observation behavior of if your physio is watching you or sort of tracking your activity, even though actually it's not their messaging, it's actually a bot. It's quite easy to convince patients actually someone's watching them do it and they should keep on with their, with their physiotherapy. Right. And a digital solution like this is a lot more scalable for the NHS, right? Exactly. Yeah. So specifically with those software, definitely. It's a big challenge. And actually, there are a couple of, people, a couple of big companies that have tried it, but a lot of them are still struggling with the same problem of actually how do we really, really get people to do their exercises? Obviously, you can get them to download an app. That's not an issue. It's actually the adherence. How often will they come back to it and keep on using that platform? So this is, I guess, it's an ambitious goal because you're trying to solve something that's well not been solved yet, which is the physio adherence problem. I guess the question is specifically how, so you've mentioned the notifications and you mentioned the gamification, but how, how are you going to make people do something they don't want to do? Well, well, the question is, do they want to do it? Because actually on a deeper level, people do want to feel better about themselves. And all we try and do is find out the reasons what's, you know, what's stopping them. Because actually it's a lot of barriers that we put in front of ourselves to say, you know what, we can't do this because it hurts. You know, the pain is there, for example, or we can't do this because, you know, I just feel like I haven't got the time in the day. What we're trying to do is, is simply as our first layer is just break all these assumptions down to their base level to almost a bit of CBT actually in some sort of in mild form, right? Of just saying what's actually going on and let's get to know you because a lot of the solutions currently there are just so generic. It's like, look, you need to do this many a day and this many a day and that's it. But they don't get to treat the patient as an individual, which is actually the whole point, because actually that's where you get the better adherence. And so we do that, and actually we're already starting to see much better adherence rates with our platform. Can you describe the process of having the idea, seeing your dad struggle with his physio, and then making it into, you know, making it into reality? Yeah, it's not an easy process. Um, and I'd say the, the two things you need are, one is an idea, and the second is a good team. And in terms of the idea, the actual, the sort of moment of inspiration, and I'm, I love the story and it is true, is actually I went home from university one day on a weekend and uh, I, I went home, opened the door and I saw my dad just playing Nintendo Wii. He'd actually set up my old Wii from when I used to play it and actually was playing Wii bowling and he loves it. I've actually got a video of it, it's fantastic. And, um, you know, he was just lunging, loving it. You know, he was having a great time with the Wii and he found that actually the gamification of that had made it far more enjoyable to do his almost physiotherapy in inverted commas. So we thought, look, how can we turn this gamification, which clearly works, you know, people are enjoying this, and I think, you know, dad loved it. How can we turn that into something beneficial and something useful, not just for the patients, but for the physios, for the doctors, in that they can actually see the recovery and we can get them to, to complete their physiotherapy, which means that they won't come back with the same problem again and again and again. You know, one in three GP appointments is musculoskeletal. It's the same problem because people aren't fully recovering the first time. So we're trying to nip that in the bud right at the start. And how do you get this team together then once you've got this idea? There's no right answer. And I think every team's got a great story behind it. And for us, we met through an incubator program uh, in London called Kickstart London. So it was for, for students who were you know, ambitious, wanted to do startups and get involved in that scene. And so you apply as an individual, you form your team, then you form your startup. So I applied as an individual with this idea of, you know, I want to solve the physiotherapy problem. Met three fantastic co-founders, unfortunately one had to leave, but now there's still three of us going on. And, you know, we've all got that diverse skill set that we bring to the table. So it's not the simplicity of, you know, having three medical students, doctors, whatever. We're actually, one of the problems that we found initially when I actually had a different team when we started was that 
because you're always so similar, the problem is that there's no diversity in skill set and you can't push further than the skill set that you have in the team, right? So you're so limited so that you can solve all the medical problems, but you can't solve the engineering ones. So in our team, you've got me as the medical person in background, Selena as our engineer, and then Pete as our CMO with expertise in marketing. And so with that sort of diversity, that trio of skill sets, it really pushes forward without having to do any hiring in the first instance. Can you, I mean, are there any specific examples of how you've, you know, you've solved problems that you couldn't have solved with a team just full of medics? Yeah, I think the perfect one is the hardware solution. <laughs> so, I mean, so as a background, I did do a bioengineering bachelor's uh, in my integrated year for, for medicine. And I'd say that I know a little, a bit of engineering, enough to, to have a good conversation with an engineer. Uh, but, you know, I tried to design some of the hardware myself and not a great time, let's put it that way. I couldn't really figure out half the problems. Selena came in and spaced the three days designing the entire platform. Right. <laughs> I mean, that's that's the beauty of it where, you know, the co-founders have such diverse skills and you bring them together and ultimately you're pushing each, each other forward. You're solving, you know, the problems and addressing the areas for development that each other has. You know, covering almost the, I don't want to say weaknesses, but let's say the areas that people are stronger in than others, right? So if I'm stronger in medicine than, than Selena, then I can cover that aspect. And if, you know, Peter's better in marketing than Selena, then, you know, again, it covers that aspect so that we address the areas we need to as a team to push ourselves forward. So you've done something which I guess most medics or a lot of medics will never do, which is properly work with very different disciplines and that's not just a multidisciplinary team within medicine. That's, that's really different stuff. So engineering and marketing. So you must have come across, from working with them, you must have come across holes in your own knowledge and your own expertise. What, what do you think that either other people provide that you can't as a medic? Or what, what gaps do you think medics have in their view of the world? Oh, that's a tough question. I mean, your audience is all medics. So I feel like I'm going to make some people very angry here now. Um, I think... With medicine, we're very good at two key domains, I think. One is the scientific knowledge. Like We're very, very good at memorizing lots of facts, learning a lot about the body, how it all works, and in many cases thinking from first principles about how things work. And the second is the human-centered aspect of things, which if you're dealing in health technology and health tech as general, you know, you have to think about that, of how does this person at the end of it interact with what I'm making? Do you know, how does it help them at a deeper level? You know, you have to show that empathy, which I think medics are fantastic at showing because that's you know, most of the reason why we got into medicine in the first place. And I think that's our, our strengths for sure. Um, in terms of sort of areas for development, we could say, um, I think the lateral thinking is one of those where I found, particularly in my bioengineering year, actually, a lot of the engineers that I was working with were able to just think so laterally, you know, you apply one concept and think, what if you tried it in this way and that way and the other way? And actually, that's how the really, really funky, really cool new ideas come out of it. Yeah. One of the things I was thinking of, actually, is, so I've been looking into marketing recently, and it seems like the marketers are borrowing from the scientists in the sense that you've got this whole concept of a b testing which is a hypothesis driven approach and it seems like it's going that way i was curious that's why i asked the question i was curious about what you've learned from them uh, yes yeah, it's, it's tricky actually so i say that because we know because we're actively doing that right now with our marketing campaign and we're very familiar with a b testing um uh it's quite interesting and i think it's it's good to see the scientific method, I think, being applied more and more in business. 
Um, I think that was one of the biggest shocks for me coming into this aspect of entrepreneurship is how often things and assumptions are, are made in many cases, but not necessarily validated through a sort of scientific hypothesis. Um, it's just simply, you know, let's try this, let's see how it goes without any data. And that's very different to, to medicine where, you know, we don't act, we don't make any decisions without any data because there is just data everywhere. And I think, you know, getting into the fray of how do we make a decision without any data? What's our first step? I think that's where Martin comes in because ultimately they say, look, let's just try all of them and let's see what works. Let's see what sticks. Um, and I think that was probably one of the biggest things I learned in, in the initial stage of, look, let's just try everything. And then we'll go with what, with what works. You also run a, an online platform which teaches medics how to code. So I was curious about how that started and what benefits do you think there are of medics learning how to code? Yeah, so CodeMD um, is, is the platform. Um, started it, had the idea for it in probably third year medicine, so that would have been 2017. Um, and it came because I was trying to teach myself how to code, actually, and I, I was so passionate about learning new skills in every, every sort of area that I could. Um, so I taught myself how to code. So I started, as you do, with machine learning because I thought that's a hot topic nowadays. Let's go for it. Um, and I just found it so difficult. I found that there was no sort of resources out there to, you know, for people who are interested in, in coding or in innovating for healthcare specifically, as to how they can really get into this, you know, as a healthcare professional, as a medical student, as a doctor, how can you apply your knowledge of, you know, this is scientific fact, we know this to be true, if there was a way of speeding this up or actually discovering something in this area, how can we use coding to help that? So what we're trying to do, and specifically at CodeMD, is be quite niche in that we're focusing on the group of healthcare professionals who want to learn how to code for healthcare specifically, because we're trying to push forward our sort of ability to care for patients. And we want to do that through code, right? And through simple innovations in many cases, such as, you know, streamlining pathways through A&E or automatic triage, things like that, which you can quite easily solve with a few lines of code and actually can have great impacts on patient care. So I think what we're trying to do essentially is give skills to people who see the problem day in, day out, and allow them to create the solutions. I think that's the, the tagline really for CodeMD. Right, because they're in the best place to, to find what those problems are and build solutions for them. And then, so what are the benefits of medics learning how to code? Well, so in many times, it depends on the kind of indiv individual we're talking about, really. So for me, I've always been interested in trying new things, seeing, almost experimenting in many ways, of seeing, you know, I've got this idea that, you know, this intervention might have this effect on this group of people. And most of the time it's an app or website, whatever. And let's say I didn't know how to code. The alternative is I either pay someone to do it for me or find a friend who's willing and gullible enough <laughs> almost to just do it for free. And it's tricky because at the end of the day, they still won't produce what you're looking for specifically. It's your, it's their interpretation of what you want, but it's not the same thing. And what I think is that actually, if you've got the skills to then make what you can think of in your head and test it yourself, it allows you to sort of validate your hypotheses far quicker and just go through all these ideas that you've got and see which ones actually work at a far quicker rate and without having to shell out thousands for a software developer or go through all your friends at the same time. Is there a question that further down the line is probably not the best use of your time to actually be doing the coding? I agree, yeah. I think... And this is one thing we realized, and this is definitely something we realized on the journey, is that medics aren't going to be software engineers by trade. And it's it's a fact of life, unfortunately. We have to accept that 
at least in our current state. Um, but the point is that actually what we're trying to do is foster the sense of of innovation in healthcare because it's such a big thing nowadays. Of you know, the NHS is unfortunately just limited by funds, and it's a system which has been pushed to the limit. So we're relying on technology now to try and help that system in some way. So if we can use it to you know let's say optimize and optimize our triage system, right, which is a huge problem in the NHS, we can't triage effectively. If we can do that and have a simple innovation, simple bit of code which analyzes your symptoms as you come in at the door, save, let's say, an hour for every patient coming in, ultimately, small things add up. And so what we're really trying to do is, is foster that sense of innovation and also just allow medics to talk to software engineers, talk to hardware engineers, give them the skills to have at least a basic conversation and realize what is possible, what is not realistically possible through code. And I think once we get that sorted, then I think it will be quite interesting to see what the results are. Along the way, have you read any books or found any resources that have helped you? Yeah, there's, I was reading this question and there's a couple of good books actually to recommend. Um, I think the first one is Trillion Dollar Coach by about Bill Campbell. I think it's written by Eric Schmidt, who's he was CEO of Google. Um, and the other one is The Hard Things About Hard Things by Ben Horowitz. Both fantastic books. And both I read as I was starting Motix and I think shaped into what it is today, for sure. How so? It definitely made me think about two things. So the trillion dollar coach definitely made me think about the value of the team and how to really get the most out of high performance teams. And the hard thing about hard things sort of you know, it teaches you the basics of startups almost, you know, which you kind of need when you're starting out because if you're a first-time founder, which I am in this case, there's a lot of things you don't realize when you start and a lot of them you realize through the journey, but by that point it's too late for some of the big problems. Um, and I think reading some of these books just to get, you know, a feel of the land, like just to see what things are like, really helped me to get ahead and sort of be quite a, sort of, clued up almost before you sort of jump into it. So I definitely recommend reading those. And in running Motix or CodeMD or any of your projects, what are the sort of biggest challenges you faced? Every day is a new challenge, I think. <laughs> <laughs> you know, for one one day it will be like let's say a software engineering bug, like a critical bug where our entire system's down, which you know has happened. Um, the next day will be a team issue which you've got to resolve. I'd say Whatever the issue is, I think the the lesson that I've learned, and it's a big thing, is the value of communication in the team. And I think, you know, the stats are that 90% of startups fail. I don't know the, the stats of within that, but I'm assuming that the majority of the time it's because of poor communication between founders, which is a big, big reason why startups fail. And I think that's true. Um, and so I think my big my biggest learning definitely has been how do you talk to your team? How do you make sure the team works well? And it comes back to that book, to, to Trillion Dollar Coach, because it talks all about it in the book about Bill Campbell and about him being, you know, essentially the, the football coach of Apple and Google, like two of the biggest companies in the world. And how he, he basically said the same thing, you know, communication is how you turn high-performance teams into amazing companies. And so I think that's my biggest learning. Finally, so what do the next few years hold for you and for Motix? I wish I knew. <laughs> Um, this is one of those journeys where it's not typical. Um, you know, so I'm at the end of medical school with exams in a few weeks. Um, and it's, it's essentially a decision point now where do I go into medicine full time? Do I be a doctor and do I go through training or do I do motics full time? Or do I half and half or 
anything in between. Um, and I mean, look, I always look at my internal mission and what I want to be doing, which is to improve human health in whatever way possible to sort of the maximum effect. And if that's due to technology, which I love, then so be it. And I love technology. So I think that's part of my mission as well. And for me, it's about seeing where can I have the most impact? And so I haven't set any definitive answers as to, to where I'm going to, to go in the next couple of years, but it's essentially where I see the most impact, where I can have the most impact on human health. I hope you enjoyed that episode. You can find Havinder on LinkedIn at Havinder Power, his company at motix.co.uk and his coding initiative at codemd.co.uk. I'll include links to all of those in the description. You can find me, my socials and my weekly newsletter by going to bigpicturemedicine.co.uk. Thank you.